Welcome to the Legendary Upside podcast. My name is Pat Corrine. You can sign up for my newsletter at legendaryupside.com. And this is the launch of a brand new fantasy football podcast that I will be hosting. In this episode, I'll be talking with JJ Zacharyson of LateRound.com and the Late Round Fantasy Football Podcast. If you've been playing fantasy football for really any time at all, you're already familiar with JJ. I wanted to have him on this podcast because one of the great things that he does is the Late Round Prospect Guide. In perfect time of year to dive in to the rookie talk here. And his prospect guide includes deep dives on the rookies with this prospect model that he's created that he actually gets into and kind of explains like what's under the hood with in the prospect guide. Uh, and, you know, he includes comps. He's talking about kind of range of outcomes for these guys. If you like my work and you don't have this guide, uh, you're kind of missing out. It's it's very much kind of up my alley. Really good stuff. We have a great discussion here. We talk about the top of the class at running back. Very in-depth, we talk about some of the really interesting names a little deeper down. Some of the guys with some serious red flags were still interesting. We do the same for the wide receiver position. We talk about the top of the class pretty extensively. We also get into some of the more under-the-radar guys. Uh, JJ makes a pretty strong case for a guy that I liked, but I like him a lot more now after having talked to JJ. I also mentioned one of the guys that I really like who's you know, not off the radar, but but not you know in the consensus top six in this class. Um, we also do a brief overview of the tight end and quarterback positions. But let's go ahead and get to the episode. All right, JJ Zacharyson, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've had a chance to dive into your rookie guide, and uh, excellent as usual. Thank you. Um, wanted to just kind of dive into some some rookie talk, go into these profiles. Uh, People, you know, been looking at Legendary Upside know that I've got a bunch of uh, stuff already out on the rookies and I've got more in the works. And it's a similar type of like analytical deep dive process. Um, so you were the perfect first guest to have on the show to kind of, um, you know, get in the weeds on these prospects. For sure, man. Well, let's let's start at the top here, because um, like I, I don't think we need to go into a ton of detail on B. John Robinson. He's the clear one one in uh, one quarterback rookie drafts but i do think it's a little interesting to talk about where he's where he lands among the quarterbacks because a pretty good quarterback class and yeah. we've got high upside option and anthony richardson bryce young i think you know as far as like a creator uh, and a playmaker goes very very high end obviously with the weight and the height it's like how much fantasy upside does he have you can get in the you know kind of nitpick there cj stroud didn't run enough but he looks very athletic and a good thrower so there's like, and all of these guys look, well, Bryce Young and CJ Stroud look like very strong bets to be starters for a while. Yeah. Richardson, <laughs> who knows, but if it happens, I mean, right. you definitely wanted him as the one-on-one. So there's some real opportunity cost in Superflex, but I, I think generally Robinson is seen as the one-on-one in Superflex. I want to get your thoughts on where he should go there. Yeah. You know, I, I do think he's the one-on-one in Superflex still only because of the, I mean, the, the, you say floor with a guy like Bijan and by floor, you're really referring to like an elite floor, which you just don't find very often and what you can't find very often. Um, and I, I think from that perspective, like I always think whenever I'm, I'm sort of looking at the, when I'm, I'm ranking rookies and sort of approaching, um, you know, that aspect of things, I'm also looking at how I'm ranking guys just in startups in general. Right. And I don't know about you, but like the way that I generally am approaching Superflex startups and the way that I'm ranking, 
I actually end up being higher on quarterbacks than a lot of people are. Um, I know that, you know, you and I are in plenty of dynasty leagues together, but like the, the league, the leagues that we are in and that we do and the, the startups that we do are, are often incredibly quarterback heavy. And they're typically with other analysts, other experts, et cetera. Um, and so the way that I sort of think about this is, okay, you know, you have Bryce young, you have CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson. Um, you know, I think that we would agree that Richardson has the highest upside of the group, just, just given what works in fantasy football. Um, but it, it shouldn't shock anyone if in Superflex, any of those quarterbacks are ranked above Bijan Robinson, even after year one. I mean, like it's it's a distinct possibility that that can happen, just given the way that number one, the running back landscape is, and how volatile that is. Uh, but also the fact that we have all of these quarterbacks uh, in startups that are often going in round one. And I think that you know we can lose sight of that pretty pretty quickly and pretty easily because we're also looking at the downside. But you bring up you know a Bryce Young and a CJ Stroud having. Uh, seemingly having a decent floor and, and seeming like pretty good prospects. Um, I can at least like see the argument to go that route. If you're looking for more safety in that like long-term solution at quarterback over Bijan, would I, would I do that? Probably not. Uh, you know, I think that even in year two and beyond, you know, in, in the short term, we're going to see Robinson most likely still ranked ahead of those guys, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in startups. But, you know, at the same time, you know, the only the only non quarterbacks that I really have, like first round grades, if you will, on in, in a startup is like Justin Jefferson, and Jamar Chase. Otherwise, I'm basically going with a quarterback. Um, and so if you want to lump those guys in and, and that includes even like like towards the end of the first and into the second, it's like that the Dak Prescott types, you know, like the the players who, you know, some people would view them maybe as like late seconds or something like that in, in a startup. But uh, the, the longevity is still there. They're still going to be around for a while. And Dak at least can give us those spiked. QB one seasons. And I think that's sort of what we're probably looking at with, with a young and a Stroud. Um, and so I can at least make that argument again, you know, in Superflex, you could go the quarterback route instead. And I honestly think, I mean, if, if there's someone in your league who sees a pretty, or you think would see a pretty big gap between the 101 to the 102 or the 103, and even the 104, if you like Richardson, uh, you know, I think it's, I think the Richardson combo is a little bit weird and, and Superflex versus one QB. Like to me, and one QB, it's very easy to just put Richardson as the QB one, just because who for cares, sure, you know, yeah. whereas in, yeah. in super flex, you're looking for that, like floor, you don't want to screw up that pick, all that kind of stuff. But regardless, if there's, if there's not a huge gap seen by your league mates, or if there is a huge gap, I should say between the one one to that quarterback tier, I don't think it's a, a crazy idea to see if you can sort of extract value from that one one pick. That makes sense. Yeah. In one quarterback <clears throat> leagues, you really you have to have Richardson one. I think like I've gotten Justin Herbert off waivers in one quarterback dynasty yeah. leagues. I've gotten, uh, I think I got Jalen hurts off waivers are a very, very late pick. Um, so you gotta be swinging for the fences there, but it gets a little more complicated in super flex. I think I lean Bijan one one as well in super flex. Part of the reason being like, it's hard for me to imagine, you know, very many other running backs who people will even want next year. Yeah other than Bijan Robinson. Like he might be one of like three running backs. That's like, yeah. it might be like him, Brees Hall, like Kenneth Walker might not even be that I agree. desirable next year. If he doesn't catch any passes this exactly. year. Right. So your, the ability to, to get a season out of Bijan Robinson, that could be quite valuable and then trade him potentially at a profit. It, it really provides kind of a, a unique opportunity at the position. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, and if anyone's doing rankings, uh, you know, dynasty rankings right now and, and such, I mean, you you can see and you can just feel it while you're creating them how awful the running back position is and, and just like how uncomfortable you feel 
putting those guys. I mean, like a year ago, two years ago, we felt amazing about Jonathan Taylor and, and just look how quickly, you know, that can yep. change and that, and that, that, uh, that dynamic falls. So, you know, I think Bijan Robinson's a better prospect than Jonathan Taylor was. Uh, Taylor was a great prospect. Don't get me wrong. Um, but you know, at the same time, it's just, that's, that's just how the running back position works. Yep. What are your thoughts on Robinson as, uh, you know, a best ball pick right now where he's going in kind of like the early second round, um, mm-hmm. there's been Sam Sherman had an interesting thread on Twitter where he was saying like, I don't really see a lot of great landing spots for him. You know, he could kind of fall from here. And I think that's fair, but I also, my take is sort of like it's Bijan dude. <laughs> yeah yeah right like like the the issue is is that we've made that excuse historically we did the same thing with i know the Brees hall obviously tore his acl but like the same thing was being said about Brees hall which is the reason why you know we see a lot of these like rookie running backs higher end rookie running backs fall in the dead zone a lot of times and when that happens they're actually th- those are the, actually the dead zone running backs that you should target because right. those are the guys the reason that they're in the dead zone is because uh of perceived competition combined with this lack this unknown and this ambiguity around that player you know we didn't know how good Brees Hall was going to be or we didn't know even Jonathan Taylor when when he broke out we didn't know how good Jonathan Taylor was going to be um but we kind of did you know like we we still knew that they were very very good prospects and so their their prices drop as a result now the difference obviously with Bijan Robinson is the fact that he is looked at as an elite player immediately by the market by everyone but if you look historically like if you look at rookie running backs that were drafted in the first four-ish rounds, three-ish rounds uh, of redraft leagues, they exceed PPR points per game expectation at a very, very high rate. I mean, like you could go, I, I sent a tweet about this last week, but you could go like 10 deep, the top 10 uh, rookie running backs by ADP over the last decade, and all of them but one, it was basically all of them except for Clyde Edwards-Alaire, uh, ended up uh, exceeding their expectation um, you know, based on, based on their ADP, dr- based on their draft cost. And, you know, if you look at, at first rounders in particular, you get three of them. You have Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, and and CEH. And, you know, no no offense to CEH truthers out there, but he's not in the same grouping as those other players as prospects. And so um, I actually think that we overstate, even in redraft, it's very easy to overstate landing spot. A dude like Bijan Robinson going, at, he, he could land pretty much anywhere and command a massive backfield share wherever he goes unless the the coaching staff is is just completely ignorant idiotic uh, or unless he goes like Indianapolis or something like that which is just not going right. to happen so I, I think that it really comes down to the fact that he's going to create that opportunity I think where he's going right now is about where he should be going I do too and I, I think to me that the bad landing spots are the Bears and the Ravens where like you know just super mobile quarterback, assuming Lamar's there. Right. Um, where you wouldn't have the pass catching part exactly. of his profile. But yeah. I want him to go to like a quote unquote bad landing spot because he's he's ruining someone else's year, is the exactly. way I look at it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, we spent more time on Bijan than I was thinking we would, but that's probably for the best because there's like not that much going on in the kind of the middle class of this running back, uh, the middle part of this running back class. Uh Jameer Gibbs is a guy I like because his yards per route run is very strong. He's, you know, the the scouts and stuff think he's got all the, the elements of, you know, the receiving profile that you're looking for. In that sense, you know, Travis Etienne, people are a little shakier on him in terms of like the film evaluation on the receiving, even though his numbers are pretty good. We're not getting that with Gibbs. Both, both sides seem to agree he's a really strong receiver. But you point out in your guide, size is a huge concern. Didn't have a ton of uh, the carries. I never handled 33% of his team's rushing attempts in college, which uh, 
you know, paired with the smaller size is definitely an issue. The thing that I came away feeling like with Gibbs is like, I'm still pretty bullish on him in dynasty, but I'm worried that he's going to get pricey in best ball drafts once he goes in the second round. Cause I think he will. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to be paying like a fourth or fifth round price tag for a guy who's probably more of like a year two, maybe even year three type of receiving breakout bet. Yeah. I, I don't think that's wrong. Um, you know, I, I, I feel sort of the way I feel about Gibbs is sort of how I felt about Kenneth Walker last year, where like, there's this one piece of his profile that's glaring and to, to my model and to my process and stuff that's glaring. And that scares me a little bit, but it doesn't scare me off of the dude, you know, like, like Kenneth mm-hmm. Walker last year had this, had this big red flag with his receiving profile. And even after year one, I don't know if we really got answers about that. You know, I, I think there's still plenty of question marks with, with Walker's receiving profile and with Gibbs the big question mark. I mean, he didn't have like, like you said, he didn't have great like rushing production necessarily, but his receiving production, I mean, he's the best receiving back in this class, probably the best receiving back that we've seen in, in years uh, out of, out of the NFL or out, out of the NFL draft. Um, but uh, size does matter. Uh, you know, I, I know that, uh, that, that folks will look at certain thresholds and they'll say, Oh, you know, he's just under 200 pounds. And now all the analytics people are going to say, oh, he's under 200 pounds. Therefore we got to avoid him. That's not really the way that, that I approach things. I mean, I do have weight as part of my model. He's in the wrong bucket now. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, yeah, if he would have, if he would have uh, had an extra glass of milk that day. Then he, then he, then he I really wish he would have though. Don't you wish he would have? <laughs> yeah. yeah, It would have been, would have been nice for him to get to that 200. Uh, but no, so like, like even if you look at 210 pound players, uh, running backs, uh, there's actually a pretty big difference in how those guys produce, um, you know, in fantasy. I, I, I did a, a quick newsletter to, to subscribers uh, a couple weeks ago, looking at different weight classes at the running back position and essentially showing how well they did, uh, you know, during their first three years in the league. Um, and, and if you look if basically I bucketed them out. So I looked at all running backs in my database, in my prospect database, which is all running backs that were drafted or went to the combine since 2011. So there's there's a lot of running backs in this in this overall database. And so I bucketed them out and I said, okay, here are the guys that are above 230 pounds. Here are the guys who are 220 to 229, 210 to 219, et cetera. So every 10 pounds, you get a different tier, right? Um, and if you just were to look at at how those players so perform. You are bucketing. What's that? You are bucketing. these. Yeah, guys. I am bucketing from this perspective. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but if, if you were to look at, um, at, at, at sort of the distribution of players in these different buckets, uh, you can see that uh, the majority of them, you know, are you know, there's there's like eight percent of them are above 230 pounds, five uh, percent of them are under 190 pounds, and then the bulk of them are you know in between that like 200 to 220 range, 225 range, which is not surprising. But if you if you then layer on how frequently those players hit 10 plus PPR points in a season across their first three in the league, 12, 14, 16. There's there's pretty obvious distribution happening here where the the smaller backs are not doing as well. You know, like for instance, of the 190 to 199 pound group, 7.5% of them had a double digit PPR point per game season across their first three in the league, which is not very big because if you go up to the 200 to 209 group, you get to 25%. And then above that, you mm-hmm. get to 31%. So there's a pretty drastic difference when you get to that like 210-ish, you know, 205 pound range. And then you know, the, the, the comment back would be, okay, well, there's a bias here because obviously bigger running backs are getting drafted earlier. So the sample size that I'm working off of here is every running back that's entered the league essentially over the last decade. Uh, but a lot of these smaller backs are not being drafted early 
so it's not really fair to compare the two. So what I did was I looked at running backs who were drafted. Uh, first off, I looked at their median draft pick, which showed that, you know, guys who were below 190 had a median draft pick of 243, 190 to 199 had a median draft pick of 376. And then like the above 230 range, the median draft pick was 140. So it was like a very dramatic difference because these bigger backs are getting drafted earlier. Uh, but what I did was I leveled the playing field out and I looked at players who were picked between pick 33 and pick 100, essentially a day two pick. I didn't want to throw the day one guys in there because obviously we're not seeing, you know, Devon A chain size backs being drafted in the first round. And even right. when you do that, even when you control for draft capital, there's a pretty significant difference when you're looking at these different tiers, especially not when you get to 200 pounds, but when you get to 210 pounds, that's, that's really to me, a huge cutoff. If you were to have some sort of so, uh, threshold to look at with these guys, uh, just as a, as a, for instance, if you're looking at that, that grouping of, of, of running backs that were drafted between pick 33 and 100 uh, of the guys who were 210 to 219 pounds, 47% of them were able to get 14 plus PPR point per game season across their first three in the league. You go down by 10 pounds, the next tier, the 200 to 209 range that goes from 47% to 15%. I mean, there's a, mm -hmm. there's a drastic difference. Then you go down to the 190 to 199 range and you get 0%. There's literally never been since 2011. There hasn't been a sub 200 pound back that's been at the combine or drafted that has given you a 14 that, that was drafted in, in the, the second or third round that's given you uh, a 14 plus PPR point per game. There hasn't even been one that's given you a double digit PPR point per game season. Um, so basically what I'm saying is I know that that was a lot to like randomly take in, but basically what I'm saying is I think there's a red flag here. It's very, very yeah. hard to find like legitimate comps for Jameer Gibbs. And I, I understand that there's some, like you could say, oh, he could be Chris Johnson or he could be Javid Best. But at the same time, it's like, do we really feel comfortable when we're digging through comps from 2008? You know, like, like th th it's, it's, it's somewhat of a red flag. Um, and you know, he still looks fine in my model. He's still a 93rd percentile guy, which is around where Kenneth Walker was last year. So he was still fine enough, but I just don't buy into like the, he's Alvin Kamara when Alvin Kamara was 15 pounds heavier than him. You know, I, I think that right. he's, he's got more of like a geo Bernard profile than he does an Alvin Kamara profile. Yeah. Although like geo Bernard, but much, much more explosive and yes, yes, fluid. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I yeah. just mean, I, I mean, mostly just from an on paper standpoint. Yeah, I mean, like he's 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 better than what Gio Bernard is or was, and I think that that teams are going to be able to be a lot more creative with a guy like Gibbs than they ever could be with a guy like Bernard. Uh, it's just more so like, I mean, look. Bottom line is, if you're looking for like a sub 210 pound comp for him, uh, again, 210, not 200, uh, that really worked out at the next level. That that was drafted highly over the last decade, it's really CMC. Like that's, that's really, and, and yeah. And I don't think he has that pro. I mean, CMC was so good across the board that it's just hard to say. I mean, it's hard to say this for any running back, but it's hard for me to sit here and be like, Jameer Gibbs can have a CMC level impact. I, I don't think that's very likely at all because CMC at like two Oh three or two Oh four, whatever he came in at mm -hmm. turned into a every down workhorse back, which is such a rare outcome for exactly. any back. Right. And, the research that I've done for, you know, the legendary running back seasons, um, you know, looking for these guys who can win you your league in the early rounds, like that also pointed to 210 pounds as being really mm. significant for goal line carries. Yeah, exactly. So, and that if you want a guy who's going to turn in one of these massive seasons, they need to score a bunch of touchdowns. Yeah. And you're not, you're very unlikely 
to get the goal line carries. And I think that's, you know, one of those things the NFL prefers to have a big guy around the goal line. We've seen that it took Austin Eckler years to get goal line work. He got right. it eventually, but it took a while. That, that's the other thing, too, is that I think when people hear me say these things about Gibbs, it's not really about how I feel about Gibbs. Like if I'm running a team, if I'm coaching a team, I, I don't really I don't really care if he's smaller, if he can work at the goal. Like Darren Sproles wasn't that bad at the goal line. You know, like th there's there are guys that can be smaller that can still work at the goal line. I'm working off of what we've seen historically trends wise from these teams and how they operate. And generally speaking, just flat out how teams operate is they Get, they don't give these smaller backs the kind of workload that we want for fantasy football. It's not that I think that Gibbs is bad at all. It's just that my model is literally trying to predict how well they're going to do in fantasy. That's all I care about. And, right. you know, if, if a team is going to handle their volume differently because of that size or because, you know, they want to use them in a particular way, um, I, I think that we should at least, you know, like pay attention to that. Okay, so if Gibbs had had, you know, a tall glass of milk, maybe he's in a different bucket and he doesn't look quite so quite so bad. Devin A chain would have needed a uh, a keg of milk to <laughs> yeah. get to get to get anywhere near a yeah. good bucket in that analysis you just described. He's been a tough guy for me right now because it's looking like he has a much stronger odds of of being selected in the second round yeah. than you know Zach Charbonnet has pretty good odds, but if you go past Charbonnet, it's like any of these guys could be sixth round picks. Like right. I don't feel confident that you know even like tanks tank bigsby kendra miller any of these guys you know there's i feel like everyone has their favorite among that group they all really don't have locked in draft capital and a chain seems to have locked in draft capital which makes him like more appealing to me i think than any of those other guys individually but like as a group i kind of want the field and so like ranking him has, has yeah. been pretty tough because the weight concern for him is he doesn't have the elite receiving profile like Gibbs. Gibbs, it's like, yeah, he's probably he's not going to play every down and he's going to be limited in what he does. I'm like, yeah, but what he does is probably be really, really special. I don't mm -hmm. necessarily feel that way about A-Chain. Yeah, look, I mean, if you look at my prospect model database, there's 19 running backs who have been uh, below 190 pounds in that database. This is since 2011. None of them have had 100 or more carries in a season. Uh, mm -hmm. so, like, it's just the way that these... <laughs> It's just the way that these coaches and and staffs use these running backs. I think the best like guy in that group was like a Tariq Cohen, right? Like someone that that was able to do a lot as a pass catcher. And who's a receiver, me, yeah. yeah. Yeah, to me, Tariq Cohen is more like a Deuce Vaughn than he is a, someone like Devon A-Chain. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like I, I agree with you from the perspective of like where we're at right now at the end of March. Uh, and, and I got a lot of questions about this with my rankings after I published the prospect guide was that people were like, oh, you seem really low on these running backs because I thought this was supposed to be a good running back class, but it's not that it's that I think after the draft, we're just going to have a better idea of which one of those running backs did slip to the sixth round and which mm -hmm. one didn't. Cause we have, like, like you said, there's like tank Bigsby, Sean Tucker, uh, chase Brown. Like there's all these guys who should, could, could easily be day two guys. And if they are day two guys, then we're going to feel a lot more comfortable with them and ranking them. Uh, we'll know the landing spots. Like I, I think yeah. you don't want to get carried away with landing spot as we talked about with Bijan, but in this group behind a chain, I think landing spots going to matter a lot. I agree. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, 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 you know, to your question straight up about a chain, like I'm way lower than the market on a chain, just be, it's, it's literally because of size. And I know yeah. that that sounds like crazy to people, but like right now, like he, he had a pretty good production profile overall. Like it wasn't really horrible. And, and, you know, he competed with Isaiah Spiller and say what you want about Spiller, but it's still an NFL caliber player that he was competing with, uh, you know, during his second to last season. 
but but even still, I mean, the, the size is a, a massive, massive concern when we're not trying to predict how well these guys are going to just be as players. I think A-Chain, you know, him going in the second or third round, like let's say he goes late second. Like I, I understand it from a real football perspective to some degree because he's such an explosive player, but I just don't know if he's going to be a 15 plus touch per game player. I, I would almost guarantee he's not going to be that because you're going to have to see a lot of volume on the ground in order to get there. And as a result, I just don't see the ceiling for a guy like Achan. I think you can you can see it more in a, in, a, in a PPR format with a guy like like Gibbs. Obviously, you know Gibbs can can be like a better DeAndre Swift or something like that. But like right. with 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 Achan, I just it's really really hard to find that ceiling and to see where that ceiling is coming from. I mean, his comps in my model were Isaiah Pede, Tyler Irvin, and Justin Jackson. And part of that is. Part of that is there's just, I, I also of, got urban. I don't yeah, love yeah, that. Yeah. Part of that is like, there's just a lack of players that are that size in general yeah. that I'm looking through. But part of it too, is that we just don't, I mean, this is what a chain kind of is. I think Irvin makes a lot of sense, honestly. Like, it's not like it's that crazy of a, of a comp to make, um, you know, is he electric? Is he explosive? Is he really fun? Yeah. He's a super fun player, but I just don't know if he's going to be super fun for fantasy. How close were those comps? Because I I didn't get a lot of close comps for Gibbs, but I got like no close comps for A-Chain, which in some ways, given that he's like such a weird profile, Mm -hmm. I actually, at that point, I want that. Like, because anyone, to your point, like anyone that he comps to in in past NFL history wasn't successful for fantasy because no one's gotten 100 carries. So right, right. It, it's better, right, if he doesn't have any close comps at least. 100%, 100%. Bo- both A-Chain and Gibbs were very difficult for, I mean, the comp-wise, the, the 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 percent match was not nearly as good as what I got from some other backs. Like some other backs are just like a very, very, I mean, even like, like even Deuce Vaughn didn't have very good matches, obviously, because he's just such a unique player in terms of size and production profile and all that kind of stuff. Um. So yeah, I mean, like they're not like exact, but I do think that, you know, it, it, it's you do want to embrace that volatility with these kinds of players, as you're mentioning, because uh, obviously we haven't seen it happen before. But then at the same time, we haven't seen it happen before. And that's still a little bit concerning. If you're going to have to like spend up like 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 that, that's why I just feel better about like Deuce Vaughn versus a Devon A chain, because you're going to be able to get Vaughn way later in your rookie drafts because people just don't care because he's so small. But I actually think that they can make a similar impact from a fantasy perspective, like strictly a fantasy perspective. And so I'd rather wait a round and a half, especially when you're talking like, you know, mid second round draft capital in, in terms of rookie draft picks to like, yeah. no one cares about third and fourth rounders. They just don't matter in dynasty. So like the opportunity cost is way, way lower if you're going the Deuce well, Vaughn route than the Devon A chain route. You're in a lot of leagues, I think with Davis Maddox. So you might be spending a second to, to secure <laughs> That's Deuce Vaughn true. in those. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, okay. So I want to ask you about in a in a couple minutes, I want to ask you about some of the guys kind of in this big tier, because it seems like we're in agreement that there's this big group of guys and we don't know right now, but some of them are going to be really good and they're going to be hits and we're going to be interested in post-draft and two years from now, we're going to be excited about these guys, some of them probably. Um, so I want to get some of your favorite guys from this big tier, but I, I first want to ask you about a guy that I think I'm quite a bit higher on than you, um, and that's Dwayne McBride, who's another one of these m- big big red flag guys but it's the mm-hmm. other end of the spectrum he's mm-hmm. not that big waiting in uh 209 i believe um but an awesome rusher super elusive uh the issue is that he like may never have caught a pass <laughs> yeah, in his entire life <laughs> it's that yeah. one small 
issue. We could just combine him and Jameer Gibbs. We'd have two Bijan level prospects in this class. But uh, I guess the thing for me is that like, I, I wonder if there's like a, like a floor below which you can't like be any worse. Like, is he really that much worse as a receiver receiver in the NFL? Like as a prospect, he's like, yes, he is worse than Kenneth Walker as a receiver, but like, as an NFL player, like, because he can pass block okay, is he really that much worse than, like, what Kenneth Walker is going to give you in terms of profile? And he looks like a pretty exciting rusher. My concern is he he's had a hamstring injury. He has not yet run the 40. If you watch the highlights, the highlights, he's getting tackled from behind repeatedly. Yeah. So I'm pretty worried that he might be a 4-7 guy. But if, I think if he runs, like, a 4-6-5, goes in the fourth round, I think he's pretty interesting. And he's going right now in underdog drafts in the 20th round. So he's completely free. Yeah. Like I, I think from that perspective, it's fine, right? Like, like it's totally fine. But, but I, I do think that a player like McBride just, he's one of those players that I don't think you're going to regret ranking him low. If that mm. makes sense. You know, I, because like, I, I don't think that the receiving profile that he has, which is the seventh worst in my model that my models ever is. I'm, I'm that's, that's uh, in terms of best season reception share, which is one of the metrics that the model looks at, but his best season <laughs> reception share outrun changed my conditional formatting yeah there you go. yeah exactly yeah everyone's colors just completely changed <laughs> yeah, everyone yeah. else looks great now yeah exactly <laughs> uh but yeah his best season reception share was 1.7 percent uh he caught five passes throughout his time at uab which is just like it, it it's just it's rough like it's just straight up rough uh size profile is good it's there um but you know we've seen these like you know i what i really look for when i'm prospecting through data like this is I love the players who are able to give you, uh, you know, some decent, some semblance of a receiving profile, uh, whether it's in reception share, whether you're looking at yards per route run, what have you, uh, some semblance of a receiving profile with that size, which is part of the reason why my model liked Isaiah Pacheco more than others did last year, uh, because he had the offense that he played in sucked. Like the offensive line was horrible. Um, and, and the, the, like his receiving, like his efficiency wasn't that great or anything like that, but he was at least getting the ball a lot through the air. Um, you know, his reception, best season reception share was still in the double digit percentage, which, which is not easy to find from bigger bodied backs. Um, and so he was an easy guy to then say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to at least, you know, my model's going to like him a little bit more than, than how others view him. So he seems like a target. Whereas this is just not the case with McBride, you know, you're just not getting that receiving profile with him, but you know, I'm not going to hate on anyone for throwing that 20th round dart or spending a fourth round rookie pick on a player like this when, you know, maybe you can get some spiked weeks from maybe he turns into a goal line back and he's able to be that early down plotter. Um, you know, I don't think though that he's like, you know, I, I, maybe someone would be thinking right now, like a Tyler Algier from last year, Algier had a pretty good, he's another Algier was another guy last year who had a decent receiving profile was a bigger right. bodied back and then was able to do what he did as a rookie. I don't see he that was more in, like a cam Akers type of like, he can yeah. do it, the receiving stuff. He's not great at it, but it's exactly. not a problem. Right. And and to me, the receiving stuff when we're prospecting is not just like, can you catch passes? It's also, it's a sign of talent, right? Like these teams are trying to get these guys the ball uh, in a lot of different ways, which is why we see signal from guys who are punt and kick returners uh, at wide receiver, even running back in college. And so, um, you know, I I think that it's important to, to look at it from that perspective too. It's like, okay, well, why was Dwayne McBride catching one pass per year? You know, like, like what is the reason for that? Is it because, uh, you know, they just gave him so much work on the ground, which is sort of kind of the Kenneth Walker uh, dilemma? Mm-hmm. Or is it because he's just not very good? And I, I think that yeah. that could be, could be the outcome for him. 
yeah that that seems that seems fair all right let me let me get some of your favorite of these you know this kind of this big tier of running back and i guess curious also on your thoughts of like how these guys compare with zach charbonnet who kind of is like the ideal version of these guys and that he can catch passes he's he's i would say also kind of in that algier mode where he's he's perfectly capable as a receiver not like doesn't pop as a receiver but he's he's fine um and you know decently big not not as big as i thought he might be but good size draft capital looks potentially very good second round in play third round looks very likely unlikely to fall maybe falls to the fourth but he's not going to have a big slide i don't think these other guys draft capital questions but they do profile for the most part pretty similarly in terms of that like good but not great receiving profile good rushers so who jumps out to you yeah, look, I, I actually think Charbonnet, like I, my gap between Gibbs to Charbonnet is probably smaller than a lot of analysts. Mm. Like I I think that Charbonnet, again, this is coming from the perspective of fantasy, right? Like I understand that Gibbs is more electric and, and just like the better player that I would rather have on my real football team. But from the perspective of fantasy, you have the size and you have the combo of being a three down back in Charbonnet if a team's willing to do that. And if they get him in the second round, if that capital's there, you have to assume that they're looking to do that, right? Um, you know, right now he's projected to go in round two. And if that happens, this is in my, my prospect guide. Uh, here's a list of the other four 210 plus pound running backs who were drafted in the second round since 2011 with a best season reception share above 12%. So big bodied guy who had a rece- reception share above 12%. You had Daniel Thomas, which was a miss, but you also had Le'Veon Bell, Joe Mixon and DeAndre Swift. And then if you go beyond that and you look at the third round players within that same criteria, Again, third rounders, I mean, there's a lot of misses at running back in the third round. You get Kareem Hunt, Alvin Kamara, David Johnson, Charles Sims. That's a, that's a throwback. Uh, DeMarco Murray, Zach Moss, Keyshawn Vaughn, Antonio Gibson, and Rashad White. So there's a lot of, I mean, all things considered, when you're looking at day two guys, round three guys, these are the kinds of guy, of running backs that I'm really trying to target in my drafts because uh, when you get that combo of, of pass catcher, uh, with size that that means that they have that three down potential so I'm very very high on on Zach Charbonnet uh, I, I think that if he like if for whatever reason we see a, a closer gap in draft capital between Gibbs and Charbonnet I'm not going to say that I would necessarily do this but I wouldn't be shocked if I have Charbonnet ahead of Gibbs after the draft like if it's if it's close enough like if Gibbs goes like I mean it, it depends on where they go just based on how the model looks at things but you know, let's say Gibbs goes like 45th overall and Charbonnet is like 53rd or something like that. Like I, I will be fine putting Charbonnet above Gibbs, uh, you know, rankings post-draft. I'm going to caveat this take because if you don't have a liquid dynasty league, uh, do not do this. But there is like maybe something to the idea too of like you don't even necessarily have to 100% like a guy more if you're like, look, he's probably going to have the better rookie year. And yeah. maybe, I can, maybe I can take Charbonnet, True. trade off of him, yeah. After because he does profile as someone that could just like get a bunch of touches down the stretch as a rookie and be yep. very valuable after his rookie year. Where Gibbs to me looks like he's probably gonna have like an okay rookie year, and then we're all gonna be hoping and praying it happens in year two, and then right. who knows? Which is similar to like a Swift, like what we've we, we've right. we've hoped with Swift and, and that we think exists with Swift, but I think that that's sort of like one an archetype, year. yeah. That's sort of yeah. like the archetype that we're that we're looking at with with Gibbs, whereas Charbonnet is like he could just be the dude. Like he could just see, you know, that like 80% backfield share, like just an insane yeah. backfield share and stuff wherever you get wherever he ends up going. 
J.K. Dobbins and Cam Akers came up as comps for me, which I think is, is exciting. And those are those are guys who are again it's kind of in that similar thing of like Dobbins hasn't really been used as a receiver as a pro, but that's not right because of any limitations of him. I don't think. Yeah. Well, what about the guys below that? So maybe you yeah. do see a bigger gap between those guys and Charbonnet then. Yeah, I mean, like like right now, it's just easier to say I'm going to get Charbonnet because I think we feel most confident that he's going to go day two. Whereas once right. you get after Charbonnet, you're like, okay, you got Sean Tucker, who I think, I mean, Sean Tucker on paper looks great, but then you look at some of like the way that that film guys look at him and, and some of his like receiving grades and stuff like that, and it looks way worse. And um, the medical red flag that he didn't, he hasn't worked out yet. Yeah. I don't know how nervous to be about that, but I don't right. love it. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, like he, 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 at least like if he, if his athleticism is there and that like he, he has like a good profile, like, like more, you know, more of that like objective statistical profile. So I, I don't mind Tucker, you know, I chase Brown is someone who I'm a little bit lower on than since I published the prospect guide to just to be honest, but you know, his age is kind of a concern. Um, but he is one of the most athletic running backs in this class. I do care about athleticism way, way more at running back than I do a wide receiver. Um, and, and his profile is good too. I mean, he's another like decent sized back who kind of does it all or could do it all. So, and then I put tank Bigsby, uh, in that same, in that same group, uh, Bigsby really comped well for me to DeMarco Murray. Um, hmm. and, and if you look at guys who, uh, have that 210 plus, uh, pound frame that hit a 15% reception share. Uh, and you look at the guys who didn't in that same range, same projected range where where Bigsby's going. Uh, there's a there's a, a big edge to be had among the guys who are able to hit that reception share mark, um, you know, at his size. So he's he's pretty interesting to me. Um, and then I think there's you know there's a couple guys like I I, I really you know I've, I've warmed up to Kendra Miller uh, more and more. Um, he's you know, tough because he looks like he should be. He looks like he's like a giant version of Aaron Jones or something when you watch him run. Yeah. Yeah, but he's he's receiving stuff like his yards per hour is not good. Not so good. I'm actually yes. worried he's a two down guy. I totally agree with you. That that's the biggest concern with me. Um, you know, he did. It's good to, though that he was able to. I mean, he played with Zach Evans and and was more efficient than him. Uh, you know, within that same offense. Uh, and then you know, in that same sort of like vein is is uh, Izzy Abanacanda uh, from my alma mater at Pitt. Uh, you know, he he has a, a decent profile, but he didn't run at the combine. He he can blaze. I mean, the dude is very very fast. And Miller, uh, I I think that his size speed combo, if that were to be displayed at the combine, if it had been, he would be he would be higher in dynasty draft mock drafts etc. Right now than he currently is. And, and that's I know that it's not pit bias. I promise. It's just the 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 honest to god truth that he's a very very fast dude and he's got the size and his profile. You know, looks a lot like Kendry Miller just in general. Like it's it's mm-hmm. it's not like super unlike. Uh, Miller's he has a little bit better of a receiving profile too yep. so I think Abanacanda is kind of a, a decent sleeper right now yeah I don't I mean my film evaluation is non-existent but when I watched Abanacanda I get excited and he he looks yeah. like he cuts like I'm like this seems like it would fit well in a Shanahan type system like that's yeah, one yeah. of the, like if he goes to Miami like fourth round to Miami yeah. I'm in yeah I'm very in yeah he, but he's got he's got the breakaway speed though like he he, uh, I mean, last year it looks like last, most year to me a little bit. Yeah. He, he just, yeah, exactly. Like he, he's, he can make, he can generate those massive, massive plays. I mean, maybe that's something that people would want and, and to focus on in best ball, what have you, but like he can absolutely generate those plays. Maybe they won't be predictable year one, but they're definitely there. He's basically free in best ball as well. He's like 19th, 20th round. Yeah. 
He's someone I haven't gotten a ton of exposure to um, before I release this podcast. I'm, I'm probably going to draft a couple drafts and get some more. <laughs> I was going to be uh, simultaneously drafting like four drafts to get some Izzy. Yeah. Uh, anyone else that, that jumps out to you? Yeah. From that class? One more that guy company? is probably Evan Hall. Um, and mm. the reason I bring him up is because I'm a sucker for this profile. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's just someone who's getting drafted. I've seen some low draft. Uh, right. That's, that's around. the problem. I mean, like, like he, he just, he has such a good receiving profile that I think that hypothetically he could find the field immediately and be a third down kind of guy, but he's got weight. I mean, he's got size. Like he, and if you look at him, like the dude is, is jacked. Like he's a, he's a very, very big running back and athletic running back. Um, so I think that he's one of those players. I mean, to be fair, his number one comp was John Kelly. And I loved John Kelly coming out like, like, you know, five years ago or whatever. Um, yeah but he fits that, that mold sort of one of his comps was Brandon Bolden for me, um, which I know doesn't excite people. I get it, but I think he's more athletic than what we get from a, from a Brandon Bolden type and Bolden, someone again, who played that third down role, obviously played a lot of special teams too, but I think Evan Hall could, could play that third down role, maybe year one, and then see if something can build off of that in the right environment. Yeah. You could do worse than, than Brandon Bolden for yeah uh, a super late round comp. He's someone that jumps out to me too. I just, I'm really worried about where he ends up getting drafted or if he even does get drafted. Yeah. Um, okay. Let, I want to ask you about kind of the, the, like this year's Brian Robinson, the the guy who's like, it's going to happen. doesn't matter whether we like it or not. Coaches are going to like Roshan Johnson. Yeah. Do you, do you feel the same? Yeah. I mean, like I, I think of all the players again, you know, I'm coming at this from an analytical perspective and I try to approach my work with a lot of nuance. Cause I think it's just important because this stuff is not, very easy to be like super precise with. And obviously, you know, Roshan Johnson's playing behind the best running back prospect that we've seen since Saquon. Um, and, and so he's not going to have a good production profile. And so, and, and that's, that's that, you know, you should, you should look at that more subjectively. Then he doesn't look great in my model. He doesn't look horrible. But he doesn't look great in my model. Um, and if you look at some of the metrics that he's produced, I mean, not a lot of guys have done well with those metrics. The only like, and I think this is actually a fair comp for him too. But the one guy who produces poorly, if you will, from a production standpoint, as Roshan, who ended up being good in fantasy, was Chris Carson, um, who, who I think is probably like the high end, you know, like the, the solid comp for him. But again, to your point, you know, about Evan Hall, when you're looking at guys who, I mean, Roshan's rising, so maybe he ends up going day two or something like that. But, you know, if you look at guys who are not the high end picks um, and you can find a comp that is, is reasonable and, and strong, um, you know, that's something that you can latch onto and just look for that upside. And I, I think Roshan at least has that given the fact that he's huge. I mean, he's 219 pounds. He's got that going for him. And even, you know, before Bijan, uh, you know, he had a good receiving profile, you know, the one year that he played without him. So I, I like, there's at least like some semblance of, of something going on there with Roshan analytically, um, that I, I think I'll probably be around at market with, with Roshan, despite the fact that, you know, I'm looking at this from a statistical perspective and his numbers just weren't very good. I feel the same way, although he's starting to move up in best ball drafts to the point that I'm not that in. He's going, I don't know, around like pick 160 or something like that, yeah. which is okay, but I don't. So that's, he used to be a little cheaper, but um, with him, you know, and Davis Maddock has pointed this out, made this point that like, you know, if Bijan Robinson's coming off the field so that he can come on and pass protect, that's probably good. And I actually yeah. went and checked the pass blocking grades and of all the running backs this year that have a, realistic chance of being selected day two he is the top top graded pass blocking running back so 
that that part of it checks out. You know, if you think, okay, he's he's big enough to be on the field all the time. He pass blocks really well. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not the most exciting type of profile statistically, but potential three down back who's going pretty cheaply. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that he too, like, you know, you mentioned Brian Robinson. Like I, I would argue that he's a, like more exciting than Brian Robinson was last year. You know, I, I understand like the, the idea that this guy that like no one's really like in love with, and then he just yeah. kind of walks into volume and all that kind of stuff. But I do think there's at least some juice there is what I'm saying with, with Roshan. Like it he, could be Miles Sandersy maybe with, yeah, you know, he's yeah. stuck behind Saquon. Yeah, right, right. I mean, he's, I, I think the athleticism's there and, and, you know, he's got the size to be able to handle a big workload that goes a long way. All right, let's move to wide receiver. Um, it's an interesting wide receiver class, um, but not a great wide receiver class. And no. you 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 had a great thread that was comparing this to the last three years. I view this very similarly. The last three years have spoiled us. This yeah. isn't a terrible wide receiver class. This is just a normal wide receiver class. It's the last three years that haven't been normal. And I don't know. I mean, like to get a Jackson Smith and Jigba, a Jordan Addison, a Quentin Johnson, those feel like pretty solid top three before this past year, but it did, it does feel, it does feel disappointing. Let's say to have this class after the last three years. Yeah. And especially, you know, I'm not as into the college scene until like January hits every year when I start prospecting and stuff, but I I know, you know, I I'm, I'm still loosely following things and I know that this class was looked at as supposed to be very, very good. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, just a couple of years ago or even last year, and then just a lot, basically every higher end player. I mean, JSN, he's injured. Jordan Addison transfers and doesn't do that much. Um, I mean, Kayshawn Booty, you know, he's he's not doing any, he didn't do anything. He hasn't done anything since his freshman year. I yeah. mean, there's just, there's a lot of stuff that went wrong for the higher end wide receivers. And then the result is this, which, you know, like you said, it's not a bad class, but I, you know, it's, it's just not nearly as good as what we've, we've seen over the last few years. It also has, I, I don't think it, it does not have a lot of guys later on that I'm particularly excited about potentially bubbling up and saving the class. Like it seems to have a true consensus top six. Yeah. Uh, we have the same top six. I haven't seen anyone else have a different top six. Um, that's not something I want in a class like this. I would love if they had a consensus top three and then it's like, who knows? Yeah. You know, sort of like running but, back right now. Yeah. Like running, like I would prefer that. Yeah. Uh, Marvin Mims, though, is a guy that jumps out to me as like potentially uh, pretty interesting. He doesn't like check the boxes in terms of a breakout. Uh, He never broke out uh, by a 30% dominator rating, but he was like pretty productive throughout. He was an early declare. He had one good year with a a really good yardage share. He had another year with a really good touchdown share. He never did at the same time. So we never got the breakout. But yeah, he's someone that in a class where I'm just like, please someone bubble up and become, you know, kind of that, that true sleeper type. He's that guy for me. Although to be honest, like the, the high end outcome I'd be looking for is like a year, two or three emergence, maybe like a Chris Godwin type of thing where it's like, you know, eventually he's great early on. You're not getting much. Yeah. I mean, the the crazy thing with him, he had like insane, insane depth of targets in in college. They were, uh, they were 17, 17 17.6 and 15.4 during his three years, uh, you know, at Oklahoma. Uh, but he was insanely productive there. Um, you know, one of the guys that he, he he gets down the field very, very well. And I think that's why his comps in my model is three comps. Number one was KJ Hamler, who I don't think we'll ever know whether KJ Hamler is good or not. 
Um, and then Isaiah Ford was another one who was a you know big play guy who could who could stretch a field. The last one though was Jerry Judy, which was 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 fairly uh, interesting. Uh, you know, for Mims, but um, yeah, I mean, like like of the guys that are maybe not in that group, I could definitely see him. You know, being one of the the players that that ends up standing out and and is able to to uh, to make that jump. But but similar, my stuff was seeing the same thing that you were, where like his numbers were above average across the board. Yeah, like they were they were never like absurd. Where you're like, holy crap, this guy could be like unbelievable. Um, you know, his his, his best season uh, yards per team pass attempt uh, was two point six six, which is fine, but it's not like this unbelievable number. Um, and that that's one that that my model looks at pretty heavily. Um, but he is an early declare guy and he had a freshman year breakout, right? So like those two things, it's like, okay, this, this, there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like, you know, these, this is another potential like threshold situation, like breakout, breakout age. That's a threshold based thing. Right. And if, right. you know, there's a couple different thresholds, but yes. if you're like, well, he never hit the 30% one, he came he pretty close a couple times. Maybe that's good. Maybe we're in an era of fantasy football where like that's that's a target profile because we're like the market's going to be too low on them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I agree. My my model for breakout is usually looking or is looking at 20 percent rather than the 30 percent. Mm, OK, yeah. Um. well, with that top. Well, let me let me ask you if there's anybody else that kind of jumps out to you is potentially bubbling up as a sleeper type. Yeah, there's one dude who I'm I'm now I've gone on uh, my podcast. I said this last week, and I'm I'm now gonna be uh uh leading the charge with Jaden Reed. So okay. so Jaden I Reed, think Reeves is on him in a big way too. Yeah, I, th- I think he might be too. Yeah. Uh Reed is really interesting because um so he started his career, his collegiate career at Western Michigan, right? At Western Michigan, as as we all know, Western Michigan over the last two years has produced two second round wide receivers, one of them being D. Eskridge two years ago, which was an absurdly stupid pick. Uh, and then last year being Sky really Moore. Awesome. And, and yeah. it's still ridiculous that, that D. Eskridge went in the second round of, of the NFL draft, but uh, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll move on. Uh, so he was, at, he was at Western Michigan and at Western Michigan during, during Jaden Reed's freshman year, D. Eskridge was a junior and he outproduced D. Eskridge as a freshman and D. Eskridge was a junior. And then he, uh, Reed transferred to Michigan State and when he transferred, he, had, he lost a year uh, just because of transfer rules. And so then he played the final four seasons or however long he played at Michigan State after the, that one year at Western Michigan. Mm. Um, but the, the crazy thing is, is that so, so he plays his freshman year at Western Michigan. He leaves and then Sky Moore enters at Western Michigan. So they didn't play together. But Sky okay. Moore was there the year after Jaden Reed was. It was an identical offense. I mean, the same guys were there. Same quarterbacks were generally there. And uh, Jaden Reed had a better freshman season yards per team pass attempt rate than Sky Moore did. And, hmm. and then on top of that, Reed goes to Michigan state was fairly productive at Michigan state. He did it all too. He's one of those guys where like my model doesn't have punt and kick return stuff in it. Cause it's hard to like really model for that, but it's one of those like additive things that if yeah. these guys did that, then it's, it's a signal for me. Uh, so he did everything. I mean, he, he was, he saw uh, touches on the ground too. Uh, but he, uh, you know, he was uh, returning kicks, returning punts, and he had a pretty good, um, you know, receiving profile there too. So I think that if you uh, bring that all together uh, and the other thing too, the, the statistical comparables in my model for him, number one was Cam Phillips, which isn't great. Uh, another one, the third one was Tylen Wallace, which isn't great. But the second mm. one was Stefan Diggs for Jaden Reed. Okay. And so I'm like, I'm like, all right, well, if we're talking about it, so I, I've seen him rising a little bit, like he might be a day two pick. Like there's a possibility that he's a day two pick, but even if he's a day three pick, um, if you can find a guy like that with 
a Stefan Diggs comp, you know, that's someone that you should probably be paying, paying attention to. Uh, and then, you know, on top of that, he has all these other things going for him, like what he did at Western Michigan and stuff. So I think Jaden Reed is, uh, I mean, I'm way, way higher than the market on him, like way, way higher. Okay. Uh, he, he's definitely someone that I'm, I'm targeting heavily. So Rich Rebar, I said, was in on him. I'm He was on ship chasing and mentioned him. I, I'm not sure if he was actually in on him or he, he was demanding that we be in on him, given his statistical profile. So yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to see someone someone picked it up and, and ran with it because he does have a pretty interesting statistical profile. I guess it's tough, like, with him, like, you'd love to see him be an early declare, you know, yeah. with the with the Dix comp. Yep. But, you know, to your point about losing a year transferring, like, what are the chances then in the next year he's going to, really get on the NFL's attention. Right. You know, so the other thing, the other thing too, is that this class, as we know, is just filled with like geriatrics, right? Like we just, we just have like 23 plus year old players all yeah. over the place. So like, yeah. it's one of those situations where it's tough to be a, you know, beggars can't be choosers when, you know, we're looking at the context of this class. Would I be as in on Jaden Reed in a previous class? Maybe not, but I do think that there's at least a lot going for him that he's, he's worthy to, to call out as a sleeper. That's how I feel about Zay Flowers. So I feel like last year I would have been like, ah, come on, the four-year guy, he's small. Zay Flowers, give me a break. Now I'm like, clear wide receiver four. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty excited about him at the end of the first round in yeah. Superflex. Right. So I don't know what what a difference a year makes, I guess. But he's he has kind of come. I've come around on him outside of some of the big, you know, overarching takeaways of you know four-year prospect. Um, not the biggest guy. He's not even that tall. He's he's just I think he's 182, but yeah. he's like five, under nine. under five ten. Yeah, so that that I don't love. But then he was producing his yards downfield. I don't think he's like he he had some rushing yards as a freshman, but I think he's a legit downfield wide receiver. I think he can. I'm there's a good chance anyway that he's going to be able to play outside in, in the NFL be more of kind of an intermediate guy than I think a true deep threat. Give him, you know, four, four, two forties. Good, not great uh, for his size, but he actually looks pretty interesting to me despite some red flags. I totally agree. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think, you know, the fantasy community doesn't pay attention to enough is like just slot rates and like how they work and like how, what they mean and all that kind of stuff. Uh, like if you're a full-time slot guy, but you're not on the field in two wide receiver sets. That's a problem, right? Like, right. Like, that's an issue. Like you don't want, you don't want to be Cole Beasley or something like that, where you're like only going to be playing the slot. You'll never play in two wide sets. That's, that's an issue. That's the Elijah Moore problem from last year, right? Like mm -hmm. where, where he was only on the field in those kinds of sets. Um, whereas with Zay flowers, you know, you can project him to maybe play the slot at the NFL level, but he only ran 33% of his routes from the slot last year. I mean, he, he played on the outside. He played on the perimeter. Like you said, he can get down the field, uh, to me, you know, that, that can translate. And we've seen in, in recent memory, Elijah Moore is actually another player in recent memory who was smaller, but was able to play the outside. I mean, his rookie season, the vast majority of his snaps were on the outside. were on the perimeter. He actually played way more in the slot this past year than he did in year one. So I don't think that his size, you know, yeah, I'd rather have him be, you know, beefier and bigger to be, and still be doing these things. But I would argue that him doing these things is the result of his size and the re result mm -hmm. of him you know, being in that smaller frame and able to stretch the field and stuff. Um, you know, is he someone that like I'm head over heels for? Uh, not really. I mean, he's a 92nd percentile guy in my model, which isn't bad, but you know, I like to guys to get in like the 95th percent 
range, which is where uh, elite guys typically end up coming from. And then from a comp perspective, it's not easy to find like decent comps for him. Like Philip Dorsett was one for me. Marcus Wheaton was one. And then Randall Cobb was one. Marcus Wheaton. Yeah. Yeah. So like, like there's some, I try to talk people into Kendall Wright. This morning I had a newsletter post go out and I was like, it's not as bad as it looks. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. Exactly. So like, I, like, I I think that he, you know, and then obviously, you know, we didn't even mention really the age, the age thing, like he's going to be 23 years old in September. So like there's, Mm -hmm. there's that too. But I do think that within the context of this class, uh, great route runner, uh, pretty good, pretty good production for the most part. Um, you know, I, I think that he, uh, makes sense pretty firmly as like a top four, top five wide out in this class. Yeah. Well, that point you made about, uh, you know, guys playing in the slot, that's one I've been kind of hammering for Jackson Smith and Jigbo, where I feel like, you know, do people realize that CeeDee Lamb played over 90% of his snaps in the slot as a rookie? Do right. people realize he paid, played over 60% of his snaps last year in the slot? It doesn't matter if he plays in the slot a bunch of times as long as he's out there running all the routes, which exactly. I think exactly. I think Jackson Smith and Jigbo will be out there running all the routes. And so I, I've tended to think that like the Amon Ross St. Brown comp, certainly plenty of upside if he can replicate that, but there's not great odds of any, even a very good prospect replicating what Amon Ross St. Brown's doing the way he's doing it. I feel like he has other paths than that. I think he can, you know, be kind of a guy who's out there for every route playing mostly in the slot, but he doesn't have to just be like a slot target dominator the way Amon Ross St. Brown is. Yeah, but that's that's also the problem with like the and I'm pulling up uh, one player right now in my my uh, database because I, I think it's important because I think he's like a, a decent comp. But like I, I think it's important the way that we speak about this and the way that just, you know, analysts and the community speaks about like slot guys, because I think that people then take that as like these guys are only playing in the slot or like that's what they can do right. or, or that's what they do. But like a perfect example, I think, with JSN is Keenan Allen, where Keenan Allen, if you look throughout his career, you know, 64% slot rate, uh, 62%, 54%. So he's like playing over 50% of the, of his, uh, running 50% of his routes or more from the slot for half of his career, but he's still playing on the perimeter too. Like he's still able to do that. Yep. And I think that with JSN, a team would be, you know, there might be teams out there that see JSN as only a slot guy. They're just not going to draft him in the first round then. If that's how they view a yeah. player like JSN, if a team's going to draft JSN in the top 15, there is no doubt in my mind that they see him as a perimeter threat. It's just that when they have a three wide set, they're going to throw him in the slot because he's a technician there and he'll be able to dominate there. So, you know, I, I my, my comps for him, uh, analytic comps were Juju was his first one. Um, again, I don't think that he's as slotty as, as Juju is uh, Jamar Chase and Garrett Wilson were the other two. So like you have players who, again, I mean, I don't think he's Jamar Chase. I don't think it's, I don't think we're looking at that with JSN, but if you think about like where Juju is, what Garrett Wilson did, um, you know, and like, 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 I, I just, I don't see JSN as the same type of player as like a, a Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson per se, but I think it just is like a, a hat tip to the idea that he can play on the perimeter. Yeah. Justin Jefferson came up for me. So he's going to be a mix between Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. That's a yeah, no big deal. That's the yeah. takeaway here. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, that's how I view him too. And I love that point that like, if a team's taking him in the mid first, they're going to play him on the outside a decent amount. Um, that's why first round draft capital is so valuable, right? It's a team who right. believes in you, who's who's taking you. Uh, I was kind of shocked by this. I was I was looking up um, relative to another prospect, actually, some comps, and 
Tyler Lockett has played 50% of his career snaps out wide. Yeah. But, which I guess isn't that shocking considering it's Seattle. It's not like the most 11 personnel type sure. of offense, but it's still Tyler Lockett. It kind of it would surprise me. Yeah. No, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like there's, if you can find a player who's at least going to be out there in these two wide sets, that's all that you should care about from a fantasy perspective, you know, because it, like, like again, with, with JSN, a team is not going <laughs> to draft him in round one and let him sit on the bench uh, while, while, you know, Nico Collins and, and whoever is, is playing for like if Houston gets him or something at 12, like there's just, there's, it just is not logical. It's not, a, it's not a, a, a meaningful thing to do. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, I mean, like, I think that people would be surprised when they see sort of how, uh, uh, you know, how, how frequently some of these like smaller wide receivers are really playing, uh, in that area of the field. What you really want is a guy who can play the perimeter and who's out there in two wide sets and then can take advantage of those matchups in the slot whenever they do have those similar to like a CD lamb when they have those, those three wide sets. A hundred percent. Two guys that I do have slot concerns with in this class are, uh, Josh Downs and Jalen Hyatt. Hyatt, for different reasons, Hyatt played like exclusively in the slot, basically, but as a deep threat. Uh, he ran a bunch of go routes. A huge percentage of his yards came from go routes. So, again, I'm not a tape guy. I don't know how he is as a route runner, really, but that doesn't seem like me. If you're running go routes from the slot, they're probably not like the most polished route runner. You're going to have to go to the outside now, Jalen Hyatt. He's not that big. He didn't run. He's not Tyquan Thornton. You know, he ran a 4-4. He doesn't have truly elite speed for a, a, in a pretty small package. The like projection part of it really scares me with him. And then Downs is sort of the reverse, where I'm worried maybe he is that guy who only plays 70% of snap, you know, runs a 75% route rate, something like that, where he is just limited to the slot. Yeah, I, I agree with both those takes. I mean, with, with Jalen Hyatt, um, you know, he he didn't have the best breakout uh, age and such. I mean, he had he had good final season production. The problem I have with Hyatt is if you look at him analytically and objectively within my model, and that's how I'm pulling these comps, it looks almost identical to Jamison Williams. Like it's it's because you have two years of nothing, and then mm-hmm. you have this third year breakout. But I would argue that Williams at least has more of a backbone as to why those two years were the way that they were, yeah. you know. And so, like you, Cedric Tillman is the is the argument yeah. for Hyatt, right? <laughs> it's right. not as strong, yeah. Jason Olave and Garrett Wilson, exactly, exactly. So, like, I'm not saying that he is that. I'm just, you know, it's more so that like that's probably the higher end piece where we're at. My top comp for Hyatt was Nelson Aguilar, so take that for what it's mm. worth. Um, you know, I, I think that that's, that's what we could see out of him, honestly, at the NFL level, but yeah, the concerns are definitely there. I mean, there's a lot of film people too, who just talk about that. Like, like he, he, he really ran against defenses where there was like no press. I mean, it was just literally him not seeing corners cl- even, even remotely close to him at the line of scrimmage. Cause they're, they're obviously playing for his speed. Uh, but he was able to not, I mean, there wasn't that much contact that he had to like deal with and he has a smaller frame. So that's a little bit of a concern then as he translates then, you know, to the NFL. And then, yeah, Josh Downs, I think I have the exact same concerns with. I mean, I had the concerns to some degree with Elijah Moore coming out, uh, and that's Josh Downs' top comp for me is Elijah Moore. Tyler Lockett is also uh, one of my comps for for Josh Downs. Um, and you just came up as a comp for me too. That's why I was looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that there's like that possibility, but, uh, you know, Downs doesn't have great size, and I think that people, that teams are going to typecast him as a slot guy. Um, And so there is some concern 
that uh, that he won't be able to be that productive. And, you know, I, I, I mentioned the exact same concerns about Elijah Moore coming out, right? Because Moore had an unbelievable profile. My model liked him a good bit, but I was like, look, he seems like a slot guy. And if he's a slot guy, you know, everything that we just talked about, there's there's issues over that. And then it just so happens that Moore played a ton on the perimeter as a rookie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of that was squashed because we just felt better. And then I stupidly was like, yeah, okay, we can, we can then buy into Elijah Moore. Now that we saw him, you know, the first couple of games that we saw him as a rookie, we're like, yeah, let's go. We're in. Um, right. But, you know, Downs, I just don't know if that's going to be his path. Um, I still like him. I think he's a super, super high floor option, like a super safe option for your rookie drafts. I don't think you're going to be like upset or disappointed in drafting someone like him, but it, it's hard to imagine like a wide receiver one season from Josh Downs. It is, and it's also tough. Like in best ball drafts right now, he's he's like decently expensive on underdog. He's not as expensive on FFPC. He's going to the 15th round of FFPC. I believe he's the 12th round of underdog, which is like the exact – this is a PPR slot guy. Yeah. Like it yeah. actually makes no sense. So uh, he's been really tough for me to to draft in these underdog drafts. Um, so let me, let me close out wide receiver by asking about uh, Quentin Johnston because I kind of have like – the the high upside high floor thing with with Hyatt versus Downs, um, I don't even know how high Hyatt ceiling is, but if he if he's fast, if he can play on the outside and he lands with a good quarterback, I think decently high ceiling. Yeah, but Quinn Johnson, I think undoubtedly has a really high ceiling. Yeah. Um, but man, I am worried about the floor. Seems like he could have separation issues downfield. Not a great contested catch guy, despite really awesome. Uh, leaping ability. I don't believe we have a 40 on him yet. Right. Mm-hmm. So he didn't work out at the combine. Um, didn't do the agility drills. That concerns me. He wasn't actually like very productive on screens and stuff, which is sort of like, okay, if I'm already worried about this guy, you know, his, his acceleration and his, his quick twitch stuff, the fact that they, he didn't really have much efficiency there. I don't love it. I mean, I'm not going to get like too wrapped up in it, but I really want to see that workout. Um, but at the same time, like, I don't know, he could be another T Higgins type, you know, and right. if he lands with a quarterback who's willing to chuck it up, he could, he could be really, really fun. Whereas Jordan Addison, he seems more like kind of a Marquise Brown type of maybe like a Emmanuel Sanders kind of thing yeah. where you're getting like a, a really strong number two on his real life NFL team, but maybe never all that exciting of a fantasy guy. Yeah, I agree. Addison, you know, my, my comps for Addison were, were Calvin Ridley, who I think is a high end one, obviously mm-hmm. Jahan Dotson was another one. And then T Y Hilton was one. Uh, so I, you know, I think, um, you know, Addison's also another guy who's not the easiest to find comps for just given like where he's going and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, I, I do think that he's a safer option than what you're going to get out of Quentin Johnston. Um, with Johnston, yeah, I mean, like, so my production, uh, the the production that the, my my wide receiver model looks at are best season receptions per game, best season yards per team pass attempt, and best season touchdown share. Yards per team pass attempt gets by far the most weight in that model and in, in the production stuff, but the other stuff is there to sort of like uh, balance things out, if you will. Um, if you look at first round wide receivers since 2011 uh, that have a sub two and a half yards per team pass attempt rate and a sub 4.5 best season receptions per game rate. You get three guys that were drafted in the first round. You get Kelvin Benjamin, Cordero Patterson, and Henry Ruggs, right? <laughs> and then if you go beyond that and you look at guys who had a negative stat score, which is essentially a standardized way of looking at the stat score in the model, the three production metrics. And so that means below average, right? Um, if you look at the, the there's six wide receivers in the first round with a below average stat score. Um, 
that was again Benjamin Patterson and Ruggs. So you have three busts. And then you have Kadarius Tony, Philip Dorsett, and Jalen Waddle. But we know that Jalen Waddle, you know, had had the poor production profile that he had largely because he got hurt that final season before getting drafted in the top 10. And I think so, played through an ankle injury, right? So like yeah, he gets right. a, he gets an extra game that doesn't really yeah, there, but basically anytime that I'm like referencing guys in my model who like, like every, every wide receiver that broke the mold, it's basically Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Like, like mm-hmm. ev- everyone else, like, like largely follows the the trends and stuff. And then those two guys just don't. And it's fine. You know, like that's not, it's not a big deal. It's just that, that they were abnormal prospects in the way that they sort of came about. Um, but, you know, I don't think that he's doomed, uh, you know, Quentin Johnston. Cause if you look at the second round, um, you can find, some comps that that sort of share some similar production traits and have similar size. And some of those guys came from better draft classes. And so that's why they likely were pushed down a little bit. You know, you can maybe say from a very loose perspective, DK Metcalf, but I think T Higgins is the one that, that really, really matches up to Quentin Johnson. If you were to, um, you know, look more in that second round range. So my three comps for him were T Higgins is number one, but then it's Alec Pierce and Brashad Perriman. So it's, you know, it's just kind of the range of outcomes. Perriman right? one feels like too good. I don't like. I don't like hearing that one. The what? The it, what one? It feels. Perriman feels like very realistic. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels First like that. Pick. It, yeah. Right. I mean, like it, it, the the big playability, the the physicality is yep. there. Uh, but you know, just not really able to to bring it all together at the next level and be that separator. And so, yeah. I mean, like I, I think that he's a, a really really volatile prospect. You know, more power to people if they want to put him at wide receiver two above Addison or. Or, or have conviction and, and really go after it because I do think that he has a higher ceiling. I just played a little bit safer because I, I think that our, our floor ceiling sort of equation in the way that we view players is often overstated. Like it's easy to overstate. It's easy, it's easy to kind of take that too far where, you know, Jordan Addison, yeah, he's, he's a higher floor option, but I would say that the ceiling for these guys in terms of like how they're going to score fantasy points, how many fantasy points per game they're going to score probably not like so drastically different, you know, like it's probably yeah. not like so, so crazy. Like look at Jahan Dotson, look at T Y Hilton, these smaller guys who, who perform well. Um, you know, they, they maybe weren't giving you like, like consistent wide receiver one seasons, but you can get pretty consistent high end wide receiver two seasons from profiles like that. Yeah. I spent like 500 words criticizing Jordan Addison's ceiling. He's my wide receiver too. Yeah, exactly. I, I, like, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's just tough with, uh, Johnston, Devontae Parker was a guy that came up for me. Mm-hmm. And that was another one that I was like, oh no. Yeah. Like that that is that is who he is. Cause it's yeah. like, yeah, Devontae Parker's pretty good at some stuff. It's just not quite to the level where I mean, when he had Fitzpatrick that one year, it was fun. But outside of that, it's never really been that great for fantasy. Yeah, yeah. I, I had I had Parker as a as a comp for Xavier Hutchinson. So it's like the same sort of like, you know, like this like guy who, who might be physical, not might not be able to stretch the field as much. Like Denzel Mims was another one for him. Might yeah. just might not be able to like truly, truly separate despite having like some decent physical skills. So be prepared for Xavier Hutchinson to be drafted by the Patriots this year. Oh no. All right. I, I really hope that happens now. Um all right, let's close out quickly on the tight end class. Um, I heard you on, on Davis's pod and you were mentioning like, look, man, like tight end is super hard to predict. I have the exact same feeling on, on tight end where it's like, we don't predict who's going to be elite at the tight end position. Just, right. we don't, we just don't do it. Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, like on and on Darren Waller, obviously. I mean, that um, is on and on Mark Andrews. Who's a, t- a team. The, the Ravens drafted two tight ends in that class. Hayden Hurst was the first round pick. 
Mark Andrews was the third round pick, you know, and then Andrews goes on to be the superstar. So it's not just us. The Ravens didn't yeah. know which guy was better. And then it's also like, we don't even know necessarily why these guys are drafting, you know, what they're drafting these tight ends for, right? Like right. Darnell Washington's probably going to be a first round pick. Is it to catch a bunch of passes? Probably not. You know, he's a, he's like an extra offensive lineman who can maybe catch passes. We'll see. Um, so it's just really tough. At the same time, this tight end class is a little like the running back class where there's a bunch of guys who I like taking flyers on. Like in super flex tight end premium leagues, I tend to just never spend any capital tight end position. I'm like, I'll figure it out. I'm not going to send you a first round pick for Noah Fant or whatever. Yeah. So this is a class that actually is very appealing to me because I like Sam Laporta. I like Luke Musgrave. You know, I like I like flyers on Darnell Washington, actually. Um, I think Michael Mayer's maybe not quite as buzzy as I thought he would be. Uh, Dalton Kincaid. Like now there, now we have these ultra athletic guys. Um Koontz and we have Tucker Craft is a, a smaller school guy who might go in the second round of the NFL draft. So there's lots of guys in this tight end class. Probably most of them will be nothing. Uh, some of them will turn into Cole Komet, you know, viable starter type guys. But maybe, maybe, maybe we actually get an elite guy out of this class. What do you think? Yeah. So, you know, since that show, actually, this is literally developed over the last like week. So I've been working on a tight end model for ever like forever and finally things started to click over the last week okay. and it started to like work out and i i am i've been blasting some of my subscribers with this about um you know the model and just kind of like walking through things and i'm pumped because the the you know the sample size isn't very massive that's part of the problem with tight end and i was trying to explain on that show is that you know to your point we're like we're not very good at finding the elite tight ends it's totally true and part of the problem though is that we only get a handful of them like every decade you know yeah. so like what are we really modeling? And then it's towards? that guy forever. Right. You know? <laughs> and so it's like, it's like, what are we really mod? Cause like with running back wide receiver, you know, we're modeling towards these guys trying to do whatever, you know, score like for my model, it's, it's how well they do across their first three years in the league. Um, and, but the problem with tight end is that you're only really like getting these like three or four truly, truly elite tight ends. It's really hard. And sometimes in year four or five. Right. And it's really hard to like capture that. But I will say so this model that I'm working with goes from 2015 to now. So the, the sample isn't, and it's only drafted tight ends. So the sample in the, like the database only consists of like 120 tight ends. So the, so the sample size isn't like really, really big for me to like go out there and put in my prospect guide and have a ton of confidence about it. But I will say uh, I modeled it in the, I'll, I'll just read you the top six tight ends. This is from 2015 to, to now is Kyle Pitts. Uh, this isn't in, in any order, but it's Kyle Pitts. Was, well, the model's was, clearly not very good, JJ. Yeah, exactly. Because Kyle Pitts, was, <laughs> Kyle Pitts was the the one hundred one hundredth percentile tight end in the model. Uh, yeah. but Noah Fant, George Kittle, Mark Andrews, OJ Howard, and Evan Ingram. So like, okay, it, it captured the the dudes. Like it captured mm -hmm. the guys that uh that we're talking about here that are those like super super elite guys. And it's crazy because George Kittle was a late round pick. I mean, like, yeah, it wasn't like Kittle like a so, fifth round pick, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. draft capital doesn't matter as much in this model that I, that I built out as it does at running back and wide receiver, because I've realized that the model that I'm trying to build out is really to just find some of those like truly elite guys, you know, like, like that's all yeah. I really care about. Uh, and that's what anyone should care about. And so, um, you know, stemming from that, uh, I can then look at, again, I'm not like publishing this, like I do in the prospect guide, because I'm just not there yet. There's not enough of data and stuff for this model. Um, but I will say that this this tight end class is basically the best that I've seen since 2015. Right. 
yeah, like the, uh, you know, Michael Mayer is, is looking very, very good. He's over the 90th percentile, which is a, a really good mark uh, for tight ends in the model. Uh, Darnell Washington actually looks really good too. He's in, he's, he's in the 90th. Um, but yeah, all the guys like, like I think Tucker Kraft is someone who um, really should be ranked higher uh, places um, than, than he currently is. I mean, you have like Zach Kuntz is, is looking really good. Laporta is looking good. Literally all of them. I like Laporta a lot. Laporta's yeah, fun. Laporta, Laporta looks really good. So I have, you know, in my, in my, my running back and wide receiver models, I have what I call draft capital Delta, which is essentially where they ranked in percentile form as prospects. And then where they ranked in percentile form in terms of draft capital and just subtracting those two numbers. And it, and it shows you basically if they were over or under drafted versus what the model thinks. And Laporta has uh, one of the best draft capital deltas in this class. That's versus projected draft capital right now. So right, that's because he's not going to get drafted high, and we're going to be sad. Yeah, that's right. What, yeah, he, he looks very, very good on paper uh, yeah. for sure. So you know, I'm not someone. I actually did a, an episode of my podcast earlier this week where um, I talked about investing in the tight end position in Dynasty and how it's generally not a great idea because they don't appreciate in value very well at all from from year one to year two. Like it's just it doesn't really happen. Uh, so if you're in like a super flex league or even just a regular single quarterback league, I would shy away from drafting tight ends in the first two rounds. But once you get to round three, that's when things just don't really hit very well at any position. So that's when you can start to throw more darts at, at this, this tight end class. If some of those, you know, Laporta type players end up falling there. Oh yeah. Laporta in round three. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be all over. Yeah. Um, but even, you know, Musgrave and, Kincaid, I Kincaid will probably be around too, but he hasn't worked out right. because of a back issue. So, you know, maybe he'll, I, and I kind of tend to be more like if it's later in round two, that's where yeah, there's super yeah. flex tight and yeah. premium. That's where I'll start to start yeah. to take shots. That's where you got fire move, you know? Yep. Um, all right. But JJ, thanks so much, man. This has been an incredible episode. Yeah, man. Um, incredible inaugural episode of this podcast. Tell the people where they can get the prospect guide podcast, uh, all, all of your amazing content. Yeah. Uh, over on lateround.com, you can just click the links at the top. You can get the prospect guide. It's $14.99. And then, you know, my podcast link is on there as well. The late round fantasy football podcast. All right. That'll do it for this episode. Before we get out of here, I just want to let you know about a couple things going on at legendaryupside.com. You can sign up for free for my newsletter there. Uh, there's a lot of free content that I'm putting out right now. There is premium content as well. I'm running a $30 discount for your first year as an early bird special. That works out to $69 for the whole year. Uh, there's also a 30-day trial right now. So if you're interested in getting some of the free content, you can go check it out. You can see everything uh, risk-free. I also have a premium podcast feed where I narrate the posts on the newsletter. So it's kind of like a, like a double-sided newsletter. You get an email and you get a podcast version. So if you prefer to consume your content in audio form, which I personally do, then this is kind of the perfect newsletter service for you because you don't have to read. You don't have to read if you don't want to read. You can just listen to me narrate it for you. So uh, I think it's you know kind of nice if you're on the go, if you, if you enjoy listening to podcasts instead of sitting down and reading. But at the very least, I would recommend signing up for the free newsletter. I'm rolling out content on the rookie wide receivers, the rookie running backs. I have a bunch of that on the site already. More is on the way. I also have some free posts kind of on, on best ball strategy and stuff like that right now. Uh, there will be best ball rankings post NFL draft, so you can look for that. A lot of really strong content coming your way on Legendary Upside this entire offseason. But this podcast, 
He's going to be free, going to be public, just a normal podcast. And I hope to see you guys back here very soon.